Turn, if you would, to Psalm 119. In theory, if you open your Bible to the middle, you're going to end up in Psalm 119. For those of you who don't know about Psalm 119, it's only 176 verses long. So I figure if I start reading and read slowly, I won't have to say anything today other than reading the psalm. Psalm 119 has an interesting structure. It is divided up into 22 stanzas of eight verses each. Each stanza, if you see in your text, is prefaced with a letter from the Hebrew alphabet. How many letters are there in the Hebrew alphabet? 22. You're pretty smart. If you read it in the real Hebrew, which by the way, I don't, if you read it in the real Hebrew, you will notice that the first stanza, every line begins with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. The second stanza, each sentence begins with the second letter. You get the pattern, right? Now, if you are tempted to go look this up and see if this is true, you have to remember that when you're reading Hebrew, you have to start on the right and go to the left, or you're going to be confused. The psalm is about God's law, his word. Let's read a little bit of it and see where it takes us. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. Now, you could almost randomly pick a stanza out of this, and you would get the same flavor. There's a series of words here. The law of the Lord, testimonies, walk in his ways, command your precepts, be steadfast in your statutes, uh, all your commandments, righteous rules. All of these words have different meanings. And if you look in different commentaries, there's about two schools of thought. One school says each of these words has a very specific meaning, and it helps us understand it if we know what those are. In fact, in my ESV study Bible right here, there's a table that differentiates law, testimonies, precepts, statutes, commandments, rules, and word, and each has a slightly different meaning. Now, there's another school of thought that says they all mean about the same thing. It's just since the book is poetry, he used different words in different sentences just to break things up. That one's easier to teach. We'll go with that one. <laughs> they probably do have different meanings to them. I mean, we talk about commandments. We know what that is. God is telling us to do something. Here is a rule, you do it. If you don't do it, you are sinning. 
Pretty simple, right? We have testimonies, which is the story of what God has done for us. I am going to use a very generic idea and state that all of this has to do with the Word of God, what God has revealed to all of us. So when I talk about testimonies, I'm talking about God telling us what happened and why it happened. When I talk about commandments, I'm talking about God instructing us on how we ought to live our life. There are precepts, how we are to order our life. All of these have to do with the revelation that God has given to us about how we are to live our lives. And we have 176 verses of these to do. Why? Why would we have 176 verses? This chapter is longer than some books of the Bible. Why? Why would we talk about the law of God for 176 verses? Now, if we're a good Jew, that might begin to make sense. Remember, God chose Abraham. Why did God choose Abraham? Good question. Remember when Moses is saying goodbye to the nation of Israel, and he says, God did not choose you because you were the smartest people on the planet. He didn't choose you because you were the most numerous. He didn't choose you because you were better looking. He didn't choose you because you were more obedient. In fact, you're stubborn as can be. This is God through Moses. This isn't me. God chose you because he had made a promise to Abraham, and he was going to keep that promise to Abraham. So Abraham was chosen by God. Once again, I'm not sure why. Because he believed God. That's why. Long time passed. They were carted off to Egypt to captivity. And then God brought them out. And he brought them out and he took them and God gave the nation of Israel the law. What differentiated the nation of Israel was that they had the communication from God. God said, here is my word. And that was a big deal to them. It was a big deal. They had the promises. We're going to see that in here. They had the testimonies. This is what I've done. They had the law. Here's how you ought to live our life. And to a good Jew, that's a fabulous thing. Most of us are not good Jews. Most of us are good old-fashioned Gentiles. So why should we listen to, pay attention to, 176 verses on the law? God has given us His Word for a purpose. It is not given to us as a suggestion. It isn't given to us as a recommendation, although it is a recommendation. It is given to us as the Word of God. I've told you in here before, I've read the sayings of Confucius several times, and I actually enjoyed it. But you know what I do? I go through and I go, I like that one. I like that one. 
That one, uh, it makes no sense at all to me. Forget it. I like that one, and that's what I do. The same if I were reading any other book by any other author. I decide what of that book I think is good. Guess what? There are those, <clears throat> like most of us in this room, who do that with the Bible. I like that verse. I don't like that verse. <laughs> Let's not talk about that one. Ah, that one's really good. The one about, you know, smiting my enemies. I'm all on board with that. <laughs> Being guilty for my sin? Nope. We know from history that Thomas Jefferson took the New Testament, he took his scissors, and he took his scotch tape, or whatever they used at the time, and he snipped out the parts of it he liked, he taped it into a book, and that today is known as the Jefferson Bible. There's no miracles in there, the Sermon on the Mount is in there, good ethical teaching, rah, rah, but he picked and chose. Chose. <laughs> he chose what he wanted. And guess what? That's what we do today. What Psalm 119 is going to teach us is it's going to show us someone who is in love with the Word of God. God said it. It must be right. God said it. It must be for my own good. God said it, therefore I ought to pay attention to it. I ought to obey it. I ought to do it. But I don't want to. Stanza number two. How can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word? How can you Live a life of moral purity. Now, let's just stop right there. Do not, under any circumstances, raise your hand. How many of you really want to live a life of moral purity? I mean, let's face it. Sounds kind of boring, doesn't it? I meet a friend of mine for lunch occasionally, and it's fascinating because the last two weeks he's been enamored with heaven because he's worried he's going to be bored stiff. <laughs> what are you going to do? And I'm sitting there thinking, if you're worried about being bored stiff in heaven? Anyway. Do we, do we, really want to keep ourselves morally pure. How does a young man, a young woman, an old man, a woman who is invested in years, <laughs> how do they, how do they keep themselves morally pure? It's quite simple. By guarding it according to your word. The problem is not that we don't know how, it's that we don't want to, so we ignore the this is how. I have made a covenant with my eyes that I will not look upon a maiden. Job. 
Guess what? Oh, but it was a really good TV show, or it was a really good movie, or did you... And we begin to reconstruct reality, not around the Word of God, but by what we have decided is right for us. And guess what? We will not keep ourselves morally pure. Why did God give us the Word to teach us how the world is supposed to work? But we have convinced ourselves that there's fun over there, there's excitement over there, there's real life over there, and there's boredom in heaven over here, and guess what? We're not interested in the Word of God. So we read the Word of God, and it says, don't do this. And we say, oh, I don't like those rules. Nobody has a right to tell me what to do. I can use it like the sayings of Confucius, where I pick and I choose which ones I like. <sighs> With my whole heart I seek you, let me not wander from your commandments. With my whole heart. We have seen this throughout the Psalms. The problem that Martin Luther had was that he read the Bible and it said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and he knew he didn't do it. He didn't. That's why he knew he needed the grace of God. But the desire, the desire should be to love the Lord with your whole heart. It wasn't that Martin Luther didn't want to do it. He just acknowledged the fact that there was sin that was keeping him from doing it. What if you don't desire with your whole heart the Word of God? Then you're going to be bored stiff when you get to heaven. No. There's something else probably going to happen, but that's a different story. What should our desire be? Our desire should be that we seek God with our whole heart. Now, it would be easy to read Psalm 119 and develop the idea that God the author of the psalm, is setting up some level of perfection that you and I cannot obtain. You know, we just can't do it. I can come up with a rule of life that neither you nor I have any chance in the world of ever fulfilling. But I don't think this psalm is doing it. With my whole heart I seek you, let me not wander from your commandments. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. He is acknowledging the fact that I want you with my whole heart, but at the same time, I have a tendency to wander off. We see this very clearly in Romans chapter 7. The things that I want to do, I don't do. I want to do what is right. I don't want to do the things that are wrong. But you know what? I keep wandering off. So the psalmist says to God, keep me, please. 
keep me from wandering away. Let me not wander from your commandments. But we have to ask the same question. Do you want to wander off from his commandments? Here's the commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But you know what? We wander. I talked a couple of weeks ago about my dog, so I'll do it again today. I call my dog, and my dog sometimes comes. <laughs> but the sometimes that he comes, she comes, she comes until she smells something. And you know, I've read the stories about how good their sense of smell is. I just sit there and go, what's on that piece of concrete that you have to sniff it? <laughs> Can't you imagine God sitting there going, what in the world is on that piece of concrete that you just have to sniff it? <laughs> Prone to wonder. Prone to chase after something else. That's the human condition. That's us. That's why the psalmist asked God, please help me. I need your help. Lord, I want to seek you with my whole heart. But I know that on any given day, I will smell something in the leaves and I'll just have to investigate it. And guess what? That's exactly what we do every day of our life. Every day. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I have stored up your word in my heart. Jesus is baptized. Remember? The Spirit descends. We have the dove. We have the voice. This is my beloved son. Good guy. And then Jesus goes out into the wilderness. And the wilderness is basically a desert, right? Pretty ratty stuff. And he doesn't eat and he doesn't drink for 40 days. And at the end of the 40 days, he's Hungry, duh. And the devil shows up, and the devil begins to tempt him. Hey, guy, I know you're pretty hot stuff. See that rock over there? Turn it into a loaf of bread. Now, do we believe that Satan believed that Jesus could do it? I think so. I think Satan knew exactly who that was. You and I may question that part of it, but we know that later Jesus is going to take a little bit of fish and a little bit of bread and feed 10,000 people. No problem. There's a rock. Jesus could say, rock, I want a nice warm loaf of French bread with some butter on it. And guess what? There would be a nice warm loaf of French bread with some butter on it. Now, I have to ask, would it have been sin to eat bread? No. 
Would it have been sin for him to make it into bread? No. Would it have been sin for him to do what Satan told him to do? Yes. And what does he say? He says, get lost. Man shall not live by bread alone. Where did he get that? Man shall not live by bread alone. It's in the Bible. Three times he is tempted by Satan, and three times he responds with Scripture. Why did he respond with Scripture? You know what? Jesus could have, instead of turning that rock into a loaf of bread, he could have turned Satan into a rock just as easily. Wouldn't that have been easier? Do it on the first one. But guess what? Jesus was demonstrating to us how we are supposed to respond to temptation. And what is it? Scripture. How do we do that? I have stored up your words in my heart. Stored them up like ammunition so that when I go through life, I can go, this is why I don't do that, or this is why I do that. End of story. I've told you in here repeatedly because it's interesting to me. I have studied scripture that I didn't have a clue what it meant. I just didn't. Years later, I'm in some situation, and this little voice says, you know that scripture you didn't understand? This is what it means. And it's like, uh, duh. And it does. Why do we study the word of God? We study the word of God that we might not sin against God. It's pretty simple. Yeah, but the sin is so much... No, we're not going there. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. Now, we read the Bible. We ought to read the Bible. We read the Bible. I stand up here and teach the Bible. You will go to the sermon after this, and I think it's Cody today, will preach the Bible, and you will learn it. But if you're really going to learn the Word of God, it is because the Holy Spirit has used the action of reading it off the page. The Holy Spirit has used the action of some teacher or preacher sharing it with you. And the Holy Spirit illuminates that scripture and it begins to enter your heart and it begins to help you direct your life. That's why we say, God, teach me. God, illuminate. God, help me to understand. Because I guarantee you, I can sit here up here and babble about the Bible for a long time, a lot of, a lot of strange things. And if the Spirit's not in it, it's not going to happen. We need God to help us understand His teaching. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. 
what do we talk about all the time? We talk about a lot of things. We talk about sports. We talk about business. We talk politics. Ah, don't get us started on that one, right? I have never, well, I've never been a huge sports fan, okay? I do watch sports. But I've noticed that as I get older, I am astounded how much people talk about sports. Today, I will turn on the football game. I will. I'll watch the football game. During the commercials, I will mute the TV. And you know what? Let me let you in on my secret. Sometimes I forget to unmute it when the show's... And you know what? The football game is just as good with the sound off. We just talk about it so much. We just love to talk about things. I think it was Kurt Vonnegut in one of his books said, we don't really have anything to say, but we just keep talking to practice in case someday we really do have something to say. <laughs> What does the psalmist say here? He talks about the Word of God. Now, in polite company today, you'll probably look pretty weird if you're talking about the Word of God. Why do we not talk about the Word of God? Because we're not seeking it with our own heart, with our full heart. We're not interested in it. What should we be talking about? what God has done, what God is doing, and what God will do, what God asks us to do, what God requires us to do, what God is doing. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. Now let's just put it out there right here. Over there is all the gold in Fort Knox. 127 million ounces of gold. You're going, how do I know that? I looked that up this week. <laughs> Actually, not because of this lesson. I was teaching in my American history class about going off the gold standard and being on, and I looked it up. 127 million ounces of gold. And I think gold is about $1,900 an ounce. You can do the math. That's over there. Over here is the Word of God. Don't raise your hands. Which are you going to choose? Well, you know what? I could go over here and with an ounce of this gold buy everyone in here a nice Bible. Ah, that's a good thing. With another ounce of this gold, I could buy you all lunch. With another ounce, all this stuff I could do. And I begin to focus on the riches of this world, and the Word of God is just another book sitting on my shelf with more words in it that I don't ever really get around to delighting in. That's a fascinating word. Delight. 
I tell you, you ought to read your Bible. Okay. It's like medicine that tastes wretched. I know I have to take it, but I don't want to take it. When I was a child, it was paragoric. You'll ever take that stuff? Nasty tasting stuff. Nasty tasting stuff. But you have to take it because it, well, it's good for you. And guess what? You have to read the Bible because it's good for you. Oh, shoot. What does he say? I delight in it. Huh. Your testimonies I delight as much as riches. I'm going to give you a bowl of bluebell ice cream, and you're going to delight in it. Guess what? Take the ice cream away. Take the word of God, and that's what we're supposed to do. But guess what? What did the verse say a while ago? Prone to wander. I begin to delight in other things. Why do we not delight in the Word of God? Because we are distracted by the worries and cares of this world. I mean, let's face it. We live in a society whose goal is to distract you every minute with something. Really? I can distract you so much that you never, ever get around to reading the Word of God, much less getting to the Word of God and beginning to delight in the Word of God. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. What does it mean to meditate on the Word of God? Meditation means that you've read it. It may mean that you've memorized it. And it means that when you're driving down the road and you're thinking about something, you begin to meditate on what does that passage mean? What does it mean today? What does it mean in this situation? How can I live that passage? It means to take it and chew it up, to work on it and work on it till you begin to pull the meaning out of it and you begin to understand the delight in doing so. Meditation is more than just, well, I read it. Now, you've got to start with the reading it, but you don't end with the reading it. Meditation is digesting it so that you can use it in your life. Not only that you can use it, but that it begins to change your way of thinking. Many of you, at some point in your life, were either engaged in a profession or a hobby that affected the way you think. You begin to think in certain ways. I remember as a youngster being with a group of families camping out. And we were sitting around the fire, and my father and a couple of the other men were discussing how far away that tree was. I'm not making this up. 
One of the guys was in the plumbing business. And he says it's about three and a half, 20 foot lengths of pipe. <laughs> My dad had been a pitcher in, high, in college. And he says, how far away is the home plate? 60 something feet and six inches? That's, he used that to determine it was the standard that he used. We are affected in our thinking by the things we think about. And we use them to gauge the world in which we live. What is the psalmist saying? Meditate on the word of God to the point that the word of God is what you use to explain and understand the world in which you live. Guess what? That takes more than just a casual reading. It takes meditating on the word of God. I will fix my eyes on your ways. Fix your eyes. What does that mean? You know what it means to really look at something, to stare at it until you begin to understand it. And what that means is if I'm staring at that, I'm not staring at that. That's pretty simple, right? If I'm staring at the Word of God, there are other things that I'm not staring at. I do not fix my eyes. I know how this works. I'm as much a sinner as the rest of you, and I fix my eyes on something, and I become obsessed with it. And it can become trivial. We complain about it when we see it in our children, grandchildren, and things like that. How can you be so obsessed with something so stupid? And then we go do the same thing. But it's something bigger and brighter and shinier, so we're more enlightened, right? I fix my eyes on the word of God, on God's ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. <sighs> more delighting. Question. Is this being written by someone who has to drag their butt out of bed every morning to spend two minutes reading something out of the Bible? No. No, it's not. It's someone who eagerly, eagerly wants to study the Word of God. Turn, if you would, over to da, 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 verse 153. I did randomly pick this one, by the way. I always start at the beginning of Psalm 119, and I always make it about 12 verses. So I decided to jump and pick one out of the end of it. Look on my affliction and deliver me, for I do not forget your law. Plead my case, my cause, and redeem me. Give me life according to your promise. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek your statutes. Great is your mercy, O Lord. Give me life according to your rules. Many are my persecutors and my adversaries, but I do not swerve from your testimonies. 
I look at the faithless with disgust because they do not keep your commands. Consider how I love your precepts. Give me life according to your steadfast love. The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. I like this one because it's a little more depressing. <laughs> it is easy. It is easy to read that first one or that second one and think, well, that's easy for you to say everything's working out for you, right? It's easier for you to say, I delight in the, world, the word of God because you don't have to live the life I live, right? It's easy to do all that stuff when life is going well. Look at my affliction and deliver me. This is not somebody who's sitting in his rose garden all day, reading the Bible, and doesn't have a care and concern of the world. We are not told that David wrote this. But it does kind of stand in line with a lot of the ones David has given us that we've studied so far. Half of his psalms are, oh my gosh, save me from all these wicked people who are trying to kill me. And then the other half are, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down by, I mean, you go, is this guy schizophrenic or something? Bipolar? No, he's living in the real world. This is not, I delight in the law of God because everything's going well. I delight in the, world, the word of God. And by the way, God, would you save me from all my afflictions? Because I'm suffering. I need Help! That's what he's saying. There's no Pollyanna, the world is a beautiful place. It's God is a beautiful God. Look on my affliction and deliver me, for I do not forget your law. Plead my cause and redeem me. Give me life according to your promise. I think this is interesting. Verse 153, look on my affliction and deliver me. Why? Because I did not forget your law. God, I am trying to do what you have asked me to do. So you could begin to get a little grasp in there of, that's me, I'm working real well. God, will you forgive me? On to the next one. Give me life according to your promise. Remember last week's psalm? after David had committed the sin with Bathsheba, and he says, God, because of your goodness, forgive me, not because of anything that I've done. Why, why, why should God forgive the nation of Israel? Because, what did Moses say? God made a promise to Abraham. Guess what? God has promised us, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. God has promised that He who began a good work in you will complete it. God has promised you that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and He has promised you this stuff. Why does the writer of this psalm plead to God to hear His cause because of the promises of God. Where do we learn the promises of God? In the scripture. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek your statutes. 
Great is your mercy, O Lord. Give me life according to your rules. Great is your mercy. Go home and memorize that half a verse. You can, remember the, you can memorize the second half of it if you want. But let's just stay with that. Great is your mercy. What is mercy? It is us receiving that which we don't deserve. Or not receiving what we ought to deserve. The wages of sin is death. Don't raise your hands. How many of you have sinned? If we did raise our hands and you didn't raise your hand, you're a lying fool, <laughs> according to the scripture. That's not my definition. We have all sinned. So if the wages of sin is death, and we've all sinned, what have we all earned? Death. Why are we not, first off, dead right now? And second off, why do we have the expectation of eternal life in heaven? Because of the mercy and grace of God. And that's it. But what does it say? Great is your mercy, O Lord. Give me life according to your rules. So if I keep your rules, I'll get life. No, that's not really what it's saying. As we walk through life, I can begin to think that, oh, I can do a little bit of this, and I can do a little bit of that, and I can be, you know, I can be bad. I can do what the scripture clearly, because, you know, guess what? Grace is going to cover it all up anyway, right? So I might as well do anything that I want. No. There is a way that seems right to us, and that way leads to death. There's a way that seems right to men, and the end of it is destruction. There's a path that works. There is a path that brings love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And that path is described in the Word of God. Now, we're not living in a Pollyanna world. The psalmist is not, and God certainly isn't. He knows you're going to smell a piece of concrete and think you've just got to stop. And God is going to nudge you, and God is going to forgive you. But don't think, don't think that you can have life as God meant it to be lived off sniffing concrete someplace. You can't do it. To the extent that I look at the Word of God and I say, no, just no, I will at a minimum not live this life as I would actually really want to live this life or as God would have me or that actually contributes to human flourishing. 
That's as a minimum. But we have to get back to the thing in the closet that we're trying to hide. And that is simply this. If you don't ever, ever delight in the Word of God, if you have no interest in following His directions for life, if you don't seek after Him with any portion of your whole heart, the expectation is not that you'll be bored in heaven. It's that you won't be there. The expectation is not that you will be bored in heaven, but that you won't be there. No. If you don't even have a glimpse of an interest in delighting in the Word of God, if you don't have any desire to do what God would have you to do, I am going to tell you that we're all sinners. But if you have no interest, go ahead. That is a true statement. He's going to heaven. Life is great. No. Okay. Let's look, at, let's look at the obvious first, okay? You're not dead yet. Okay? Yeah. Then he is going to heaven. No, not going. He is in heaven. End of discussion. I have no idea how much time God gives you between the time you accept Christ and the time you die. That's irrelevant to any of this discussion. Whether it's a hundred years or whether it's two minutes, it's irrelevant to this discussion. The question is, for that hundred years or that fifty years or that forty years or that one year, did you have any interest? Well, let me back this up. If, in fact, you were converted, you will have an interest in the Word of God. To some degree, if you have no interest and you are sitting in this room, to use your phrase, where we will presume that all of us are followers after Christ, but if you are sitting in this room and you have no delight in anything to do with God, it is a warning flag. Right. The presumption is we're all sitting in this nice church at this nice facility worshiping God. Rah, rah, life is good. But if you believe that sitting in this room, listening to this lesson somehow saves you, you're wrong. What saves you is the finished work of Jesus Christ. And when God saves you, you will want to some degree to delight in the Word of God. Or it didn't happen. And guess what? There are people in churches all over this country who enjoy the company, they enjoy the music, they enjoy the nice people, and all that stuff's good. 
okay? I'm in favor of good music. I'm in favor of all that stuff. The law of God condemns us. But when we have received salvation from God, the word of God instructs us and gives us hope because of his promises for the future. And the promise to the thief on the cross was today you will be with me in paradise. How much of the Bible had he read? Not much. <laughs> we don't know. Maybe he was a good Jewish boy who ran a... Who knows? It's irrelevant. But we... While we have breath in our lungs, are seeking after something, is that something God, or is that something some smell that we're getting out of some random piece of concrete? <laughs> you think, no, that's not, I'm not smelling anything. Yeah, you are. In the eyes of God, it's the same as my dog walking down the driveway. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, that you would teach each of us to delight in your word. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.